everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of mission.org. And I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends, or maybe even plant medicine benefits, and alternative wellness. Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Up Next in Commerce. Joining me here in studio is Jim Donnelly, the CEO and founder of Restore. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. And David Fossis, the CMO of Restore. David, good to see you. Good to see you. Restore offers preventative health and wellness offerings, which I've experienced myself recently here in Austin, and it was awesome, which I'm really excited to talk to you guys today. Oh, thank you for having us. We're super excited as well. Okay, I want to start in a fun way and hear first, what is your favorite offering at Restore? Jim, I'll start with you. Yeah, it'll always be cryotherapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was what got me hooked. That's what sort of brought me in. That's what inspired me to start this business. Um, It always makes me feel much better. There's not a, a day that I do cryo that I don't feel really well. So, cryo. but I do say this, anything in a restore is something I love mm-hmm. or it wouldn't be there. Yep. But, but cryo's sort of that, your first sort of girlfriend, mm-hmm. you never forget. Yep. I won't forget it. David yep. saw me when I got out and I was like, oh my God, I'm frozen. What do I do? He's like, yeah, I don't think yeah. you made it the full minutes. I'm like, oh. <laughs> next time. Next time. Next build, time. You got to build up with frequency. Yep. What about you? What's your favorite? Well, so for me, it's a pairing. I like to do red light therapy mm-hmm. when that's 10 minutes of uh, red and urine for red light. And then I follow that up with cryo. So I get a little bit of heat, mm-hmm. then a little bit of cold. And that's awesome for my kind of knees, my joints, my muscles. feel super energized. It helps me sleep better. Um, so for me, it's that. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you ask me which one I need more, yeah. the answer is a little different. Okay. What do you depends. need? Well, like, like, 
hyperbaric therapy. Yeah, it's I did that. One it of the so things, cool. Yeah, it's one of the things that has so many health benefits, mm -hmm. but it's also a little harder for me because I've got two young kids. Mm -hmm. And so that hour, hour and a half in the chamber is oh, yeah. time I can't spend with them. Yep. So I actually have a chamber in my office. Mm. So I try to do conference calls and things like that. So, you know, it, it is all about having it easily accessible so that you can do it on your own terms. You know, IVs are great. Like I, I know when I need an IV and my energy levels, um, I'm going to do a big athletic event, mm -hmm. you know, all those sort of things. I, I kind of, depending on what I'm doing in life, really drives what's most important for me at the time. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like you've got a little high level overview of what you offer, but mm -hmm. to zoom out even more, I mean, what is Restore and what are the other offerings that we didn't mention here? Yeah, so we have 10 modalities. Um, we do cryotherapy, we do IV therapy, hyperbaric therapy, sauna therapy, compression therapy, um, blood diagnostics, um, several things in the aesthetic space, hydrofacials, cryoskin. Um, I may be forgetting one or two, but the idea is to have um, a variety of, of modalities that are preventative health and wellness modalities under one roof, mm -hmm. and then to figure out the best way to put them together to get the best results for you. And the idea is that, that everybody's a unique person and everybody should be treated like that when it comes to their health and wellness, because what works for me might not work exactly the same for you. And so it's all about experimentation and, and getting you into the, the, most obvious stuff first so then we can build on that yeah okay so i was looking at your background too and it's very interesting because i saw you co-founded a travel site yep. you sold it to travelocity you also developed luxury condos for like michael jordan and health spas so i'm wondering like what made you want to start restore yeah you know I had, i've always had a construct around entrepreneurship i I did my first company when I was in grad school when I was 21. I come from a family where my dad was a wacky entrepreneur. How um, wacky? What did he do? Um, oh gosh, there were commercial fishing boats that would suddenly be his passion. He had an accounting company, but he wanted to transform the way accounting. I was like, dad, like that's, you know, he brought the Russian ballet to the U.S. to tour on on multiple wow. occasions because <laughs> um, he has a, yeah. a a degree from the Russian Academy of Art. So he, he did all these things that as a kid are like, you know, I don't get how they fit together. And by the way, they all and financially failed. Yeah. And and so I kind of had that at my core of I love my dad's enthusiasm. He never gave up. He never lost any bit of that. Mm. And he kept trying. But I was like, yeah, but the failing part kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I said, I'm going to get on a different path. And, you know, I am going to go to grad school. I am going to get my MBA. I'm going to, I've got the leadership thing with the military. I've gone to work at Coca-Cola, Citibank, <laughs> and do these things that are, I think, foundational things. And then in 2001, it was just obvious that it's time to get out of corporate America. I, mm -hmm. I can't do it anymore. And my construct then became, I want to be a serial entrepreneur. Every five years, I wanna try to do something different. The anchor has to be that it's something that makes the world around me better, that might be locally or or on a bigger scale. Um, you know, and so I Go You Go was an example of that. As a military kid, I traveled all over the world. It meant a lot to me. Um, I did not think that the way people got travel information made sense. You would read a travel article from someone you knew nothing about. Mm -hmm. And and if that's a 70-year-old travel writer and I'm a 25-year-old adventure traveler, it makes no sense for me to get that content from them. And so the funny thing is we started that company right before 9-11. You can imagine mm. how a travel company would perform. The The cool part is it made us have to make it work and and 
we had to grow organically. It had to be profitable quickly. And the beautiful part about that is then when you do go to sell it five years later, when you win a Webby Award for the top travel site, is that you own it all. And you don't have a big investor that mm-hmm. has diluted you and that sort of yeah. thing. And so since then, I've been able to go and do other things. So in Charlotte, where we did the luxury condos, it was part of a company called Pursuit Group, whose mission was to make Charlotte more cool. No offense to Charlotte, it's like a beautiful city, sideline. but it's a lot of bankers, <laughs> yeah. a lot of sort of the same color jackets and all mm-hmm. that. We own the Charlotte Athletic Club. We developed this high-end spa concept. We mm-hmm. bought old bank buildings and turned them into condos for guys like Michael Jordan and Cam Newton. Um, and, and once again, because I wasn't a professional developer, I had to pick things that were not on their normal roadmap mm-hmm. because I, I couldn't outdo them at their game. I had to find a different game. Yeah. So all my projects in Charlotte were super quirky. Um, and then with, with Restore, it was really simple. I, I was training for a triathlon, pretty beat up. A friend literally yelled to my my wife on her way out the door at, when I was picking my wife up for lunch, hey, I'm going to do cryo. And I looked at my wife and I was like, you know what? I'm not hungry anymore. What's that cryo thing? Let's go do it. And I just fell in love with it from the first minute. But I also immediately recognized it's way too expensive. Mm-hmm. It was in a horrible retail environment. The people that were running the that particular studio, I did not think were, were the people that should be yeah. helping people with their health. They might actually freeze you to death. Yeah, it was, <laughs> let's just say um, I felt the experience mm-hmm. could be a little better. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's, that's sort of, you know, six and a half years ago, and here we are today in a very different place. So you knew that you were going to start something for, after hearing that and seeing it. I walked out of that, that front door to that cryo place knowing that I was going to start a business that had cryo in it and do it better. There's no doubt in my mind. But but I also say at that point, I'd had enough success that I wasn't looking to start a small business, a lifestyle business. Mm. There's lots of ways to make money in life. Yeah. And so I want to do big things. So I called a partner um, and said, hey, you know, Steve Welch, he's my co-founder, and said, I think there's a lot of potential here. And and he was running a company called Dream Adventures, which is the second most active investor in health and technology. Um, small money, the first mm-hmm. money in, not yeah, yeah. not in terms of total dollars. So he sees a lot of ideas. And he was very skeptical. Mm-hmm. Like he was like, no, this is another snake oil thing. I'm like, trust me, just go try it. Mm-hmm. And finally I had to pay for it and I had to strong arm him. He goes and tries it. He walks out and he's like, I, I, I get it. I have the exact same experience. And, and then we both had the idea that, okay, how do we make this not a guy in sweatpants business? Because anybody can open mm-hmm. a cryo studio. Yeah. So that's when we started layering on other modalities. We put the medical piece together. We created a national telemedicine platform, things like that, that created a real business, a defensible business, a business yeah. that was going after a massive market, not just your biohackers and pro athletes. Mm, I love it. Okay, we're going to go back to that in a second, because now I want to pass it to David and hear about your background a bit and what led you here because i'm looking at your background you're like this branding communications marketing expert you've done so many different things what led you to restore and how did you guys meet yeah so well we met through a mutual friend actually um and i'll get to that story a little bit in a little bit but you know when i look at my career the kind of continuity of it is storytelling um i got into the film business because i wanted to be a writer and director um, a teacher of mine told me to go start at talent agencies because it's kind of like getting your MBA for entertainment. Mm-hmm. 
So I worked at you know ICM and then Endeavor, and I worked with production crew and writers and directors, and eventually moved to the um, production side where I was actually helping to develop films. Um, and kind of in the mid 2000s, when YouTube and Facebook were coming up, I just saw this opportunity to help brands engage with consumers more directly. All of a sudden, the script was flipped a little bit where, you know, historically you'd go hire Tom Cruise or Mel Gibson to go make a movie and it would make hundreds of millions of dollars in the box office. Now it was Charlie bit my fingers making, you know, millions of views on YouTube. And um, now we've got to start thinking about content in a different way. And so I saw this opportunity to go work with brands who historically really, they either had to pay to get to consumers through advertising, or they had to convince journalists to go talk about them. And now they had a channel to kind of go directly engage with those consumers and create stories. And so back in 2010, I moved out to New York. I worked for this uh, company called Big Fuel, which ended up being the first major social media agency of record engagement with a brand with General Motors. And we were kind of inventing influencer marketing and content marketing then when nobody was doing it and kind of failing our way through um, to, to figure out how this stuff works. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, a couple of years, I kind of realized um, that I loved marketing, that um, it was the perfect kind of hybrid for me between creativity and, and business and impact. And um, so when I got my MBA and when I graduated from my MBA, I kind of realized I wanted to be a CMO. Ultimately, I left the agency side and started building up my career inside of brands. I got introduced to Jim about three years ago through a mutual friend who was an early investor in Restore. I coach his kid in lacrosse. He's coaching my kid in football. And, um, you know, he mentioned to me that Restore was looking for a CMO. At the time, I wasn't really looking. I was at a great company called WP Engine here in Austin. Um, and, uh, and it was at first, I had a similar reaction to Steve. I was like, ah, this is kind of snake oil. I don't know if I believe in this stuff. I went and tried it. It felt great. And when I talked to Jim and Steve and understood the vision around what we were trying to do as a company, I really couldn't say no. As a marketer, I felt like um, it had the very rare opportunity to actually build a lifestyle brand. Very few brands actually make it to that. Um, we're the first you know, national retail-based health and wellness brand. Closest thing to something like that would be something like CM, uh, CVS or something like that. So there's a lot of firsts that we're building. And that to me was really exciting as a marketer and as a business person. Mm, I love that. What is something that you remember about Jim that you know sticks with you? It can be something funny or just something where you're like, oh, I don't know if he knows I thought this about him. or <laughs> Something funny about Jim from the early days. So I actually, um, when we first met, I wasn't sure who I was meeting because from like the headshots that I had seen on LinkedIn, it wasn't clear to me. Um, <laughs> and then I, I figured it out, you know, pretty quickly. But at first I thought I was shaking Steve's hand yes. um, and it actually ended up being Jim's. That's good. I like that. Okay, Jim, what about you? What's something that you remember about David or something he did or a story? Um, you know, the thing I'll say about David is he does a lot of stuff like he doesn't just talk about creating a lifestyle brand and being part of building restore as something that's going to help people he's out living life in a pretty vivid rich way and so i just remember him always coming from either a marathon or a triathlon or some other fitness event and really pushing himself getting pretty beat up 
I thought that was always, you know, for me, I, I loved it because culture is super important to me. And it's one thing to have a great CMO with talent. It's another to have a great CMO with talent that also lives the lifestyle because that, that's a big part of what makes Restore um, interesting. I will tell one other thing that he probably doesn't want me necessarily putting out there because it involves <laughs> his it. sort of health history. <laughs> But we got all the executives of the yeah. company tested, um, you know, a variety of biomarkers and all uh -huh. that sort of thing. And there was one person that was kind of an outlier. We were like, holy shit, like this person really needs to take better care of themselves. <laughs> and it was David. <laughs> you know, the funny thing was the other person on the other end of the spectrum was like, holy crap, this person must have a perfect life and that was my wife wow. and so it was That's it was just funny to see where everyone i want to get this test done like i don't even know where i'd come in at i will say that is the problem is that most people don't know where they sit yeah. it's not how you look really yeah, you That's look what, great yeah and and you know in the last two and a half years have reminded us just because you look great just because you 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 sort of fit the mold of yes you're very healthy there's a lot of stuff going on underneath that is kind of the first step figuring out what your baseline is helps you then figure out what the solutions are can we get these tests done at restore absolutely absolutely okay. and more coming and yeah. more coming i mean it's mm -hmm. a it's an area of of wonderful, wonderful innovation and improvements and, and you will see more and more things tracked. The, the, the thing about Restore is we track the things we can affect or we track the things that we can then give you the advice around how you would go affect them. So we try not to track things that we either don't know anything about or can't impact in any meaningful way. Yeah. So you guys started your first location in Austin, right? Yeah, right down the road, okay. Harbor Trails. Yep. Yeah. All right. And now you have how many franchise locations? So we've got 175. We've announced 168, but we try to space it out. Like we open a store every three to four days now. And so, um, we, we, like I said, we don't like to announce a big cluster at once. I'm going to a ribbon cutting um, up in New Hampshire. I'm visiting a location in Maine. It's really cool to see the first location in each state. So we'll be at 43 states by the end of the year, which is pretty cool. It's fast growth. It is. And 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 it's just the tip of the iceberg. So we, we have, you know, well over seven hundred to eight hundred locations on development schedules that we will open over the course of the next few years. We will be everywhere. We our goal is to be super accessible and affordable so people can do more of what they love. If you don't make this accessible and affordable, people treat it as a special treat and a kind of a one-off thing. And, and by the way, in that one-off experience, you feel better. It's like, cool, oh man, I feel great. But what really helps people with big, big improvements are you get on a regular schedule and you do as much as you can. And you get on this virtuous cycle of the more you do, the better you feel, the better you feel, the more you do. So that that's where we want to get everybody. Yeah, no, that's an amazing cause. That's why I'm like, I was so excited to talk to you guys today because of that. So, I mean, did you know from the start that you wanted to have franchises? Is that like something you already knew? You, you know, franchising is, is a method. Mm -hmm. Some folks choose all corporate, some folks choose a combination and some go 100% franchise. We're a combination. We do have some corporate stores, but we're primarily a franchise system. Fr Franchising is capitally efficient. Um, you, know, you can go so much faster with a franchise than you can given the amount of money that it takes to do it all corporate. I also to be quite frank, I love um, entrepreneurship in a way where you share. 
the joy and you share the success and franchising is the epitome of that. You have these folks that, that are in the beginning, they're a hundred percent investing in you because the concept still isn't proven. So number one, I, I, I love the fact that people will do that and in some cases put their life savings into something. And then it, it just becomes this flywheel of more and more people come in and you have these little business partners, not little business, but these, these business partners that are on the ground as passionate as you showing up every day and, driving the success of the business and you get to share in that and and some of our franchisees now are some of my best friends in the world like it's it 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 was i underestimated that in the beginning and and it's just really a lovely dynamic now you have to have the right franchisees and we had a very different approach to it in the beginning it was military academy grads we had a lot of sort of um you know um, connections to that world your wife my wife went to West Point. Yeah. Um, you know, our head of friend Ev went to West Point. My chief of staff went to West Point. I mean, we've got a lot of folks in our system, both as franchisees and at the thing. And then we expanded it to high-level sales execs at the blue chip medical device companies. So Stryker, Abbott, Medtronic. So the best of the best. Once again, we had deep connections. And by the way, military academy folks tend to do a lot of that. You know, I could go on, but we, we, we have more channels that we use now, but we were very methodical about bringing in the right people at the foundation so that that was solid. And, and once again, those people are, are, are wonderful human beings and, and some of my best friends. Yeah. Did you look at any other franchise models to learn from and maybe key takeaways where you're like, mm, that's not doing well, probably because of this model they have. To be quite frank, we, we we definitely looked at franchise models and what they did. And then we said, let's do it totally differently. Okay. So you're like, I don't even want to be influenced by what yeah, I see. We, we had nobody yeah. with franchise experience. We, we didn't use brokers. We didn't use area developers. Um, we, we said, we're going to run this like a high growth tech company as opposed to a franchise company. And because of that, I think we've always invested quickly so that we're always ahead of the curve. We're going to where the puck's headed, not where the puck is. We know that we might be a little inefficient from time to time because of that, but it, it ensures that we're going to get a good result. And, and we're not being short-sighted about optimizing money. I mean, we have a very long-term approach to this. We're not in this to have a, a liquidity event. The money is not what motivates me. We are trying to create a business that changes the health of society. And everything about the way we've brought in investments, everything about the way we've structured the company is designed toward that goal. Now, along the way, you have constituents, you have employees with profit interest. We do have a big private equity partner. So we will navigate yeah. the things that are important to them as well. But at the end of the day, we'll do nothing that takes us off the path of completely transforming the health and wellness of society. Yeah, I love that. Were there any surprises when starting to roll out some of your first couple franchises? Because you hadn't done that before, right? Where you're yeah. like, oh, I didn't know what I didn't know. And now I'm like in a sticky situation here. Well, anytime you're dealing with high level, successful human beings, mm -hmm. you will have surprises. Yeah. I guess my biggest surprise was the level of, of sort of life happening type things that just sort of send people in different directions. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, you, you do have to recognize that these franchisees that are your partners, they have lives yeah. and divorces happen, cancer happens, 
you know, um, other things happen. And I think you gotta, if if you think that, that this is linear when you're dealing with people, it, it's just not like that. And I, I do think we strike the right balance of, of being just a, a I, th- I think a great company to interact with. We have the right level of empathy and, and, a, and emotional intelligence. So I think we navigated those things really well. Those, those first franchisees, they are not in some ways what you want eventually because mm. they are co- kind of more rebels yeah they're taking a chance yeah. they're betting on something that's not proven you know now you you kind of like you're a rebel <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah, if you're right you for now. this system <laughs> like yeah you yeah. need to be a little more you know follow the playbook follow mm-hmm. the playbook so it was it was interesting like our our early franchisees i love them dearly but they definitely question more things and yeah. and to be fair we were inventing things together we were creating systems together so for us to sort of say no we got this would have also been tone deaf because we you know there's a lot of things that you have to build the the system today and the the support systems that we have in place are in, in, like exponentially different than mm-hmm. what we had in the beginning there's a stereotype of the average american worker whose life goes something like this go to work come home consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. David, for you, what is it like marketing in this space? I mean, it also seems very different than what you've done in the past. So how did you have to come in? Like, what did your first 90 days look like? Well, I started March 2nd of 2020. So yeah, I think within two weeks we were, you know, quarantining and Mm -hmm. really, you know, helping our studios stay open. So a lot of what I did in the early days was a version of crisis management, right, Mm -hmm. where we were working with local municipalities and state governments and things like that to ensure that Restore was seen as an essential business and mm-hmm. validating that, working with the rest of the leadership team to kind of determine if there were modalities that we were going to hold off on doing for a while that we couldn't really say were essential services and making sure that we were focused on the ones that we felt were essential. We're helping um, our members and our clients with their immune systems and things like that. Navigating a very fine line around you know, making sure that we're not making claims basically providing data and information and research and letting consumers kind of make their own decisions. But by June of 2020, it was a record month. We frankly haven't looked back since. We've been opening locations on a steady pace and had really great growth. For me, from a background perspective, when I was at Real Chemistry, um, I actually had a chance to work with a lot of healthcare companies. I worked with a lot of pharma and biotech companies and med device companies. Um, I worked with several technology companies and, you know, I'd worked with GM and some other consumer brands as well. So one of the other things that I saw about coming to Restore is we're kind of building all of those things. We're building a health company, looks a lot different than traditional healthcare, but it's a health company. We're building a consumer brand and a lifestyle brand. 
And we are building technology that will help us kind of enable that consumer experience more. So to me, it's also kind of the pinnacle of my career and the previous experience of being able to bring all these things together to market for a brand that I think is going to have a lot of impact on people's lives. So what does your marketing look like? Because I don't know much about franchising. Like, do the owners market? Do you do? Like, what does that look like? Great question. You know, there's the things that you know. There's the things that you don't know. The stakeholder management around uh, working with franchisees was just one of the things that was a blind spot for me. Basically, the way that it works is 2% of um, a franchisee's uh, sales go into a national marketing fund, and then 2% of their sales they put into marketing their specific locations. And so in the early days, um, when I was first coming in and building up a team, we were really focused on the local marketing piece. How do we just help franchisees open studios successfully with a strong membership base and a good growth trajectory? So it was really hyper-local stuff. I mean, it was you know, Facebook advertising, Google advertising, grassroots marketing, helping franchisees build up lead sheets and kind of convert those folks into, into members and help them learn how to kind of counsel uh, those members on the services that they should be doing in the studios. Now, over the last year, we've really started shifting towards brand development. When I feel like when we hit 150 locations earlier this year, we hit this tipping point as a national brand. We're in uh, every major market now. And so we can start to put attention on real kind of national efforts. We launched our new website in March, along with our first kind of national advertising campaign. We launched our first ambassador partnership with Tim and Demi Tebow back in May. And we just launched our first kind of annual hyper wellness report where we looked at consumer behavior and how they're thinking about proactive health and wellness. And uh, we're actually in the midst of launching our first influencer program right now. And in January, we're going to be launching our first podcast. So we're getting into some really fun activities now on the, on the brand creation side where it's going to be very story driven. It's going to be very content driven. Um, and it's going to be people coming into our studios and expressing how they feel and talking about the experience, which we have a very experiential brand that we need to bring to life. I mean, I saw the people there doing their like girlfriend dates, doing yeah. cryotherapy together. I'm like, yeah. who are these people? We need to get them on camera, have them talk more about this experience of going on dates. Instead of going out for drinks, you're going here. Yeah, a couple <laughs> cryos together stays together. I know. So, I saw that. I was like, <laughs> there's some powerful things happening here and we need to get recording going on. <laughs> yeah, we, we talk about our experiences being effective, fun, social, and transparent. And to me, those are all you know, very different than what you would see at a, at a physician's office. It was one of the first things that I noticed the first time I, I came into a restore. It was before meeting. You know, I was prepping for my interview with Jim. I was like, I probably should do cryo first and try it out. I came in on a 6.30 on a Tuesday, and um, there were two women doing compression together. There was a third one that was sitting in the chair talking to them. There was, you know, a spa next door and a nail salon just down the way. And it was an aha moment for me that this was actually a social activity just as much as it is a health activity. And one of the biggest challenges I think consumers have and healthcare brands have is that it's just not fun. People don't look forward to working on their health because it's typically associated with something that's negative. Now we've created an experience that's actually fun and it's social. You want to bring people together. People will come in and do IV drips together, cryo together, compression together. And so people look forward to it. They feel better and they look forward to it and they want to bring their friends back. Yeah, you know, whether it's wellness or fitness, um, if you have an accountability partner, you're always going to be more successful. And, and so there isn't a single human being walking the earth that doesn't have a need state that Restore fulfills. 
everybody gets sick at some point, everybody wants to build their immunity, everybody wants more energy, everyone wants to live longer, um, people get injured, people want to perform better when they're playing sports. I mean, all of these things. And, and, and actually for David, it's one of the biggest marketing challenges. Most brands have a very specific target customer. It's in a narrow range. But when everybody's your customer, and by the way, go in on, a, on an afternoon and you'll see that. There'll be a, a, a grandmother sitting next to an MMA fighter, sitting next to a 15-year-old you know, elite soccer kid. You know, a school teacher walks in and you know, it's, it's great. I love it. It's, it's one of the things that gets me so excited to be in the studios because of the type of people, the range of people, interesting people, um, and, and people that I do think because they're being proactive about their health and wellness, they're, they're happier, they're more positive. Um, it, it's a really lovely environment. That's a good point about like, how do you market to everyone? Because all the guests that have come on this show keep talking about personalization. You need to make sure you have your different personas. Usually it's only a couple of them. How do you all think about getting in front of everyone and showing the right messaging to the right person at the right time? We think a lot about it and we're not there yet. To be honest, in the store, at the store level, our hyper wellness reps and our nurses, they do customize what they recommend and, and your individual protocol. As we mature as a business, um, you know, we have many technology initiatives um, that are both around building tools that are, you know, a consumer could literally map their health journey and, and see that the things they're doing today will lead to which long-term benefits over, you know, th that's the type of thing we're building. You know, we're integrating Salesforce and other sort of enterprise level systems into nice. our marketing engine. Our sponsor, hey. Yeah, so <laughs> that we can put you on a personalized journey and, and that, that journey sort of evolves depending on Number one, how much you do, um, if your goals change, if, if something in life changes. And that's the holy grail we're working towards. And, and I think in the health and wellness space, we are, we are going to be the first that really does it well. Because we, we have a few things. Number one, we have a massive commitment to technology and a capable tech team that's got some really badass technologists on it. Number two, we have amazing distribution. We touch millions of people every year. And so a lot of you know, our competitors, they're either, and, and three, we, we, we do focus on lots of different modalities. And so we, we tend to focus or compete with folks that are either singularly focused, like we're just focused on sleep, we're just focused on this, or we focus, we have competitors that aren't omni-channel. They have a virtual, presence or they have a retail presence, they don't really have a good omni-channel approach to it. Um, and then there's other reasons as well. But, but we think we are well positioned to not only continue to be the leader, but to increase the gap between us and everyone else. Yep. No, I agree. I mean, what was interesting when I walked in your location here in Austin was what I observed was you guys building this moat kind of of complexity, but necessary complexity. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's a nurse here. I mean, there's so many IV drip people yeah. around here yeah. and you just go in and they just give you whatever vitamins that, yeah. you know, they're like, mm, you'll probably be fine with vitamin C and D and whatever. Yeah. And it felt like having this nurse here who's actually checking your history and then they're going to, you know, help treat you based on that. It's way more complex, way harder to do some of the things that you're doing. But I saw this like, oh, okay, they have a moat that people can't just come in and do this yeah. right away. How do you think about creating that? Like, did you think about it when you were yeah. building it that way? And how do you keep enforcing it? A hundred percent. We talked about three things from the beginning. 
number one, how do we grow as fast as possible? Scale matters in this business. It, it matters in terms of what you pay for IV ingredients. It matters in terms of, of, of all kinds of things. So grow as fast as we can without imploding. Number two, create competitive moats, competitive barriers so that our business was defensible and, and our business was something that you could over time protect against the one-off competitor. And then three was how do we think about not only being the market leader, but increasing our market leadership. So those were kind of the, the three buckets of thoughts that we try to you know put some time around on a regular basis. You're right. It's a complex business. On the one hand, I love seeing the category grow. I love seeing IV competitors or, or other competitors in the space. We cannot be the only major player in this space and build the category by ourselves if it's ever going to be what it has the potential to be. So we welcome competition. But what we don't like are the one-off folks that sort of take a cavalier approach to this, a cowboy approach to this, and they don't understand the complexity. You can hurt people if you don't do this well. And so there are a lot of things that pop up that are on a one-off. And, and by the way, many of those folks are lovely people. They're, mm -hmm. they're passionate. Don't know they're, what they don't know. They, but they don't know what they don't know. And knowing what you don't know does kind of get mitigated when you're touching millions of people and you're doing it in 43 states and you're layering in audits and secret shopper programs and, and site visits from the corporate team. And, and you have this group collectively of smart franchisees who are also helping those iterations. Like they're not these static, robotic, you know, just let me open the doors. They have ideas, they see things that can be improved. And then as a company, we have the ability to act on those things. So we say all the time, love your ideas. By the way, they got to be vetted. They got to come back through the process. And then we go back to the stores, we test it. And if it doesn't work on a, on a wide scale, you know, we won't do it. I'll give you an example, like potassium is an ingredient in IVs. Potassium's great. People need potassium, but potassium in an IV creates a cardiac event one out of every 10,000 times. If you're the one-off little guy, you don't think about that as a big risk. One out of 10,000, but it is still the same level of risk and it can manifest anytime. And it typically manifests in a heart attack. At Restore, we look at that one in 10,000 very differently. When you're doing 3 million services, one in 10,000 means, um, what is that? 300 people will have a heart attack. Jeez. Guess what we're not yeah. gonna do? Yeah. Potassium. We will help you find a better way to get potassium, but we will make sure we never lose sight of the fact that we are here to do no harm. We are here to help people. We are not here to maximize dollars. We're here to maximize efficacy. By the way, if you make people feel better, if you maximize their health benefits, guess what they'll do? They'll spend money. But I do think a lot of the smaller operators, one-off operators, their hierarchies slanted. And it's slanted because it has to be, because that is the only way they're making a living. And so they will make the bad choice to give somebody something because they're willing to pay for it, because they have to. Yeah. We do not operate under that construct. Good. Now I want to know, like, what are more things like this that we should know about? Like potassium, okay, don't, don't just willy-nilly take it. Like what in this like biohacking space we're in, which it's like, yeah, I see it's huge in Austin. Everyone's yeah. trying new things. Like what are things that you see right now where you're like, mm, people should be more careful? Um, it's, it's the wild, wild west in some ways. Like 
the good news is there are many things that are now getting lots of sort of iterations under their belt and you're seeing the benefit and efficacy. And I always say an absence of evidence when you're thinking about evidence in the in the way the FDA thinks about it is not necessarily proof yeah. that it doesn't work. FDA. Hmm. That's right. The vast majority of things that work have to go through this pretty mm-hmm. long life cycle of of not having those types of validations. And by the way, those types of validations for some things, they're incredibly difficult or impossible to do. You can't do a double blind test with a cryo treatment. Of course not, because I didn't get in negative 250 degrees. Yeah. And then you have this other group, you know, so, so some things are just really hard to test in the construct that has been set up. Some things are incredibly expensive to test. But when you're seeing, once again, millions of, of iterations, you you do know what works. Yeah. So then you got to go out and find ways to prove it. And we will do that. We will. We have a team that's looking at a variety of ways that we can create our own proof points and our own studies and then work with academic work with other organizations to do that. But if you ask me, like, you know, stem cells, I think stem cells have massive potential. Are they good for everybody? Are they affordable for many people? Is the cost-benefit equation there? No. To go get a full-body stem cell treatment, you know, there's a place that it would cost me $60,000. Is there enough proof and validation out there? I don't know. But what I do know is there's massive potential there. We're seeing really great things. We don't do stem cells, but it's one of the things I I personally look at. It's going to get there. And hopefully it's going to get there in a way that is equitable, that it's not just for rich people. Yeah. Yeah. My friend has a stem cell company and it's called Stem Regen. And I was just taking it because he gave it to me. Yeah, it's a pill. I took them this morning. Oh, okay. So yeah, he's my, he's our good friend. And, but then I was like, okay, he gave me a couple bottles. Let me go look to reorder. I was like, oh, no, never mind. I love their company. I think they're doing really great things. There are many people in that space that are doing great things, but it's not quite there yet. So I do think you got to be a little careful. I do think you got to be thoughtful about it. You know, hormones, peptides, you know, I could go right down the list, exosomes. I don't even know what an exosome is. Well, there are lots of okay, things yeah. out there like that. If, mm-hmm. if you go to like a biohacking conference, you'll see about 80 things. You know, what yeah. the hell is that? And, and I don't think all of them are real. I don't think all of them are things that people should prioritize. I do think that the wellness space has tended to have a guru type dynamic mm-hmm. to it where yeah. a, a, a kind of a cult of personality can create mm-hmm. this this momentum and that, well, I'm going to try that because he said that three people completely transformed. Yeah. Well, it's okay. like MLM companies I see where I'm like, wow, you guys really blew up. Oh, yeah. it's a little culty, but okay. That's right. So at Restore, <laughs> yeah. we we have a construct. It Number one, it has to make you feel better right away. Number two, it has to be proven by some type of scientific or medical studies. Number three, it has to be something we can democratize. So if we can't disrupt it and make it more affordable and accessible to people, it's probably not something that we want to sink our teeth in. And then finally, it's something that we have to be able to do consistently and get consistent results. So i.e. something that's scalable because we do this across the country and hundreds of, of retail outlets. So if it feels different in Austin than California and New York and Wichita, then we're probably doing something we shouldn't be doing. Yeah, I, I think just to, to kind of build on that, I think we oftentimes lose sight or we're, we're looking for the silver bullet. A lot of consumers are looking for what's the one thing that is just going to make me healthier. And the reality is our bodies are super complex and we, it's going to take a couple of different things. 
I think at Restore, we were self-aware enough to say, it's about lifestyle modifications that you're going to do outside of Restore, and then we can help you with the modalities that we offer inside the Restore. So we created this framework for hyper-wellness. It has nine elements. It's things like cold and heat and nourishment and hydration. All of them have habits that you can build outside of Restore and that you should be. And then they've got modalities. We've got modalities in our studios that will help with those things. So you can wake up every morning and take a cold shower like I do, and that just helps set my body at a stress level that is good for me because then I can go into the day and have plenty of work and plenty of conversations and feel less stressed. You can also go into restore, you can do cryotherapy and it's going to have, you know, even better effects. But there's things that you can do outside of restore and inside of restore. And I think you need to. You need to. If you don't think that movement's an important thing, i.e. exercise, if you don't think the way you eat plays a big impact and you you could do cryotherapy every day but do all the other stuff wrong, it'll still help. But man, it really helps when you get all the pieces together. So I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's exactly right. And so, you know, just, I think it's a lot of it has to do with just kind of finding the right pairings and lifestyle modifications that are actually working for you. Between the supplements I take, the things I do at Restore, the lifestyle modifications that I've done, I actually don't know what is the thing that's working because it's probably a mix of all the things mm. that I'm doing. Do you have personalized supplements? that you take every day or because to me i'm like i just know these things uh, i probably need them but well do you have personal so ones? one example right is um a couple years ago when we did the the biomarker assessments and i came off you know off the off the chart <laughs> one of the things that uh one of the insights that i had was i don't my body doesn't methylate well so there are things that i put in my iv drips like glutathione knack things like that um i kind of rotate between those two ingredients because you're not supposed to do them together then every day, I, twice a day, I take a methylfolate um, supplement. So again, it's kind of things that I can do inside of Restore. And then it's insights that Restore gave me that I can go figure out what to do. And they told you that? They were like, I mean, that to me, because you always get these reports when you get tests yeah. done. And you're like, uh, I mean, I know my life partner took a gut biome thing. It came back and we're looking at it like, now what? I have no idea what I'm looking at here. I think it says you're good, but I don't know. That's the problem. And you yeah. can yeah. get conflicting messaging. What's even worse is you can go take the same test sometimes and get different results. So once again, we we don't just do tests because we can and because we can charge for them. We we do run them through a pretty rigorous process. And so, for instance, if you can't replicate the results of a test again and again and again, it's probably not a test you yeah. should be selling. Um, so we do. I think we are much more rigorous about that type of thing than other people. You know, and I, I I will go back to my stem cell comment earlier. By the way, I'm a mm -hmm. stem cell fan. I do stem cells. How does one do stem cells? What do you do? Because I only just know taking the Well, that's the whole thing. We could have a whole hour just on stem cells and you'd probably come away more confused okay. than before. <laughs> you, can, you can pull stem cells from your fat. You can pull stem cells from your blood. You can pull stem cells from your bone marrow. That's from your can body. Can I pull them from my friend? You can pull them from your friend. <laughs> from you, can, you can get them from umbilical cords. Mm -hmm. You can get them from all other types of sources. And by the way, depending on how far you go, how much you push it, mm -hmm. you might not be able to do it in the U.S. You might have to go to mm -hmm. Germany. Yeah. And that's why Kobe Bryant went to Germany for, for his stuff. And you, or you might have to go to Colombia or Central America. And by the way, there's pros and cons of that. Yeah, so yeah. it's so much there. Whether it's stem cells or some of the other things I mentioned, I will say this. My construct for me personally versus the construct for what we do at Restore is very different. I am a human experimentation. Like I try everything, I wanna try everything, but I will not put it in Restore 
until I feel comfortable mm-hmm. giving it to my parents and my kids. Yep, yep. And there are some things, by the way, I feel comfortable giving my parents. I don't feel comfortable giving my kids. Some pe- things I do for my kids, I wouldn't do for my parents. But that is kind of the the first part of of anything at Restore. That, by the way, that's subjective. And so when it then goes into what we call Restore Labs, that is professional. That is a commercialization process. We're very thoughtful about it. We're very rigorous about it. If we can't check off all the key items, it does not get into Restore. So there, there are some things that we have a ton of optimism about that we're not doing yet. But once we crack the code on how to do it and scale it and 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 make sure that it's 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 not gonna hurt anybody and it's gonna really help people, you will see many other things come into Restore. You can think of Restore franchises as distribution points for all of the future things that fit into this hyper wellness construct that are gonna really, really, really help people be healthier. Mm, that's cool. Okay, so I want to ask, have you looked into like manufacturing things in space? I like to pull things from left field sometimes and just see if anyone has gone there with me before. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, listen, I do believe <laughs> that space exploration and the next level of space is something we haven't seen yet and it's coming. And I do think that in order to do that, people are going to have to have a variety of things at their disposal as they go through that journey. Is cryo one of them? Are some of the other things we do the hyperbaric part chamber of them? reminded me of it. That's why I was like, chambers. I'm already in space. Just yeah. put me up there. That's <laughs> all of that stuff. I think will play. And, and have we personally looked at manufacturing in space? No. But what we have done is we, you know, we have a manufacturing facility in Europe, and so we saw a gap in the equipment in the cryotherapy space. So we said we're going to improve the customer experience. We're going to improve the safety. We're going to improve the efficacy. And we now make the best full body cryotherapy chambers in the world. They look better. And anytime we have an asymmetry of information and we think we can improve the consumer experience and that we think we can scale it and commercialize it and all that, we're going to go do that. And so there are going to be some really cool things, once again, coming soon that are in Restore where you walk in and go, what is that? And, you know, I do believe that beauty and aesthetics, like how things look, are part of it. If you ever walked into a medical hyperbaric unit and you look at those things, it looks like an ICU unit almost. Like, I don't, I don't think that's what I, that's not exactly what I'm looking for. So there's, there's so much innovation that we can bring to the space. I'm hoping that we can do it in places short of outer space because mm-hmm. that manufacturing <laughs> process is one that will be a little more difficult. But um, maybe bring costs down. You never know. I mean, never I was know. reading about these pharmaceutical companies up there yeah. and why they do it. And I guess there's like yeah. certain crystals up there. You don't have to yeah, worry about yeah. things. I'm like, this could be the future, you guys. And maybe. For now, we're going we're gonna <laughs> to buy crystals from them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, listen, I'm, I, like I said, will I ever go to outer space? I don't know. I feel like you will. I, I wouldn't be surprised. You seem like an outer space. Put a on the moon. Surprised. Yeah. yeah. Or on Mars. I'd like to put it, yeah. yeah. But plant our flag on the moon would be pretty cool. I would, that would be cool. That'd be the round two when you guys come yeah. back. We can talk about Jim going to space. I will say I am the eternal optimist and I do have to be tempered sometimes. And what I have learned over the course of the last seven years is it's okay to be a little more conservative. So my approach to business has always been, I'm going to aim for outer space. And if I hit the moon, 
it's probably higher than we would have gotten if I had just said, let's aim for the atmosphere. So what happens if the company, look at this evolve, space analogy we got yeah, going we on here. Going. See, you got to keep this with you the whole rest of the week it. with your team. Yeah. My, my partner is probably the opposite. He's optimistic, but he would say our goals to reach the upper atmosphere, knowing that really he wants to get to the moon, but then that's sort of an under promise over deliver. I do think that an entrepreneur and a company have to understand when to flip that switch. Yeah, you're and more then, of an Elon, like overpromise, and then you'll probably get there. And if that, not, you're that, still fine right. with overpromise right. a little. But at some point, he might be the exception. You do yeah. have to get a little more predictable and you do have <laughs> to get a little more rational because yeah. you are making resource decisions. You are promising investors and all that. So I never want to be that guy that, that, that gets sort of put in the box of you've got to really yeah. tamp things down. Come on, Jim. But I also... I, I do recognize that. You know, I always say myself, my superpowers, I'm self-aware. I'm not great at a lot of things, but I'm cognizant of that. So therefore I can put the right things in place. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm married to a West Pointer for, for a reason. Like she keeps me, keeps you in line. Keeps me in line and, and all that in, in a lovely, lovely way. And I've got guys like David, um, our executive team, it's unbelievable the level of talent, the level of pedigree, the level of experience. And, and that's why I have great, great confidence that we will achieve all of our goals. Mm, I love that. Okay. The last thing I want to end on is hearing what is a contrarian belief that you have that maybe your team wouldn't agree with you on, your wife wouldn't agree with you on? Well, this is where I get to, I get to just because of our positions, I'm going to say, David, you get to go first. I get to go first. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think I, ha I have one. And, and it actually has to do more with kind of the marketing industry right now. You know, I'm, I think we've gone, we've kind of lost the plot a little bit around being purpose-driven. And so early in my career and bef even before I got into marketing, when we talked about being a purpose-driven brand, that meant we had a mission that everybody believed in. You're kind of bringing in other consumers who believed in that mission, who believed in that culture, believed in the product that you were building. Um, and I feel like over the last several years, marketers have taken purpose-driven and made it more about social cause. And now you see a lot of marketing that is social cause-driven. Sometimes you don't even see the product in the ad or in the communication. And so I think we've gone a little too far around that. That's not to say brands shouldn't be thinking about how to do good things in the world. I'm blessed to work at a company that that is the goal of the, of the business is we are improving people's health and there's a social cause you know, intrinsically incorporated into the brand, but I chose to go to a brand that, that did that, that there was that level of alignment. I also worked with HP, you know, seven, eight years ago, and they were a purpose-driven brand as well, but it was around what their technology was enabling. Yep. And so I'd like to see marketing and marketers kind of get more focused around the business um, and comment on the things that are relevant that they can actually kind of impact. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. I mean, yeah, you look at the culture right now and it feels like everything's just like, go where the hype is, go where yeah. the angry people are, like, let's just get in there somehow. And it does feel like short-term thinking, like you're not focusing on building your brand. You're just mm -hmm. trying to be on all the trends right now. And it's like, meanwhile, you have a product to build and sell and market. And you kind of forgot about that piece. I agree with you on that, but I'm sure there's other people out there who might not. We'll get some angry, angry That's fine. tweets. I'm here for it. That's what I look for. <laughs> All right. What about you, Jim? Um, you know, in, in some ways, this is not contrarian, but in many ways, I think it is different than the way people think about life. Like, I fundamentally believe, now, my young employees might 
think a little differently about this. I literally had one um, and during a workout yesterday said, well, your generation, and it was the first time I was like, what the do you mean my generation? <laughs> like, I, and, and what he was saying is, you old guy, you, you know, you think <laughs> about things What was he saying? Now I want to hear yeah, more. Well, Who nothing. is this guy? We were literally doing an exercise and, and we were talking about, I can't even remember what we were talking about, but he said, well, well, your generation thinks about that differently. And I was like, hmm, have I gotten to that point? And the answer is yes. And the contrarian thought is that it's awesome. It's kind of like when I describe my kids, like every year is better than the last. And so I'm 53 now and turning 50, it wasn't bad. It wasn't like, oh my God, you're becoming old. And what's happening, and we're part of that, is we are changing the way people feel about aging and this idea of getting older is bad. It's just not true if you do the right things. We fundamentally believe we are going to be able to add many years to people's health span, but you gotta put in the work. And some of our younger employees, like when I talk about these things, I ah, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm 25, mm -hmm. I feel fine. Trust me, it, there's an inflection point. We all get there where you're like, I'm probably getting closer to past the halfway point than, than more years to live. And, and if you don't kind of rage against the, you know, whatever the, the, the saying is, rage against the machine, like you gotta rage against that, you gotta fight that. And if you do, your trajectory, your health span, your enjoyment in life is really, really awesome. It's it's different than at any point in human history, and um, so I, I, you know, I, I, I was a guy that that probably did struggle with the fact that you don't win the you know fifty under fifty awards anymore. You definitely don't win the sixty under sixty, 60 awards. Bring it like, back. Yeah, it, it, just, it just doesn't happen, but. It's, it's really lovely and, and I can still do the vast majority of things I used to. Um, I can do many things even better than I used to. Um, I can be more in the moment. I can, I can not be frantic about things because I know I'm doing all the things today that give me plenty of runway to be a little more patient and to get more things done. And I'm super excited. By the way, in some ways it's more boring, but you know, I always, I always say the secret to a good marriage is it is a little boring yeah a secret to a long healthy life is you do kind of put in that boring boring things. work yep. and the boring things and and you will get lots of time back it's an investment worth making yeah there was one quote that you had in an article that talked about you know the, and i will probably botch this because i'm not very good at recall but like average lifespan is maybe like 70 something yeah. but usually basically like 63 is when it starts to decline. You have like, I think you said like 10 to 15 years of yeah. not having a good life. And that stuck yeah. with me where I'm like, wow, what if you, like you said, yeah. what if it doesn't have to be that way? I mean, the two quotes that I'm most often people remember is the one about the average lifespan 79, the average health span 63. Okay, I was close. Hang on. Yeah, it's really close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But by definition, I always say that means the average American has 16 years of living. And that's just not a good dynamic. The other quote that I always put out there is that a day that I don't cry is a day that I don't feel, a day that I don't feel is a wasted day. And so we really are in this for the right reasons. It's not just my philosophy for work, it's my philosophy for life outside of work, with my family, with my kids. And I, and I wish more people sort of embrace it, whether you're a crier or not, the sort of the, the metaphorical crying every day because you're doing something meaningful. Um, I think the world would be a much better place 
if everyone had that, I'm going to do something today that moves me to tears, whether it's metaphorically or I can make myself cry. Oh, but a lot of people have yeah, a hard time. Sometimes yeah. like, come on, show. We I get have some emotion. good tears from Jim around the office. It's Aww, fun. That's keep, funny. Keep work on me a little bit. I'll get there. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it is funny stuff. But we really do appreciate you having us. Thank you very much. This was fun. Thank you guys for coming on. And for everyone who wants to check out Restore, where can they learn more? Restore.com. All right. There you go. Thanks, guys. Right, thank you. Right, thank you. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.